This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Kamal Muzawak, joining me from Beirut, Lebanon. Kamal is a visionary social entrepreneur, a restaurant owner, and a community pillar. With Souk El Tayeb, he brought a strong contemporary farmer's market culture to Beirut. At Talet, he has conveyed Lebanon's regional stories through food. For almost 20 years, Kamal has fought for unity, using the table to project his message. After a devastating explosion rocked Beirut on August 4th, Kamal explains how he's not only rebuilding, he's starting something new, with the future and the soul of his nation at stake. This summer, we're running new episodes as we're able. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss them, and please take a minute to rate and review our show. Stay tuned now for Kamal to hear who he's helping and how you can help his efforts. Kamal, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm fine. I'm I've been concerned about you. Tell me what you guys have been doing since the explosion on August fourth. Well, on August fourth, the explosion happened like at six p.m. six zero eight, and in the beginning, it was like just running to the hospitals. My partner was in the emergency; he was seriously hit. So it was about emergencies for the first day. Next day, it was about seeing what should be done and like we were like just cleaning the rubbles and deciding like that we'll stop and we'll do nothing anymore obviously in such a disaster and then it was like we cannot not do something our job is to find solutions and it was wednesday afternoon when i received the first message from world central kitchen saying like we're coming tomorrow they came on thursday and on uh, uh, friday morning we we were starting to cook and we were producing a thousand meals a day as of uh, as of uh, Friday noon. That's incredible. Where were you when the explosion happened? I was in the mountains. I wasn't in Beirut. And I heard nothing at all. I just started receiving tons of phone calls of people who were like asking about me and I understood that something uh, was wrong. And And where was your partner? He was in Beirut, like a uh, hundred meters away from the blast, in the center of Jemaisi, in his uh, atelier. He's a fashion designer, and his atelier is in the most beautiful old Lebanese house in the streets that was all lined with these beautiful palaces and all Lebanese homes. Is he okay? Uh, he had a brain hemorrhage, like uh, 20 stitches in the head. It's a long recovery of at least a month, but at least he's out of danger. Are people able to be in hospitals? Have hospitals been destroyed? Where are people who need care? Well, hospitals like around my house were like at eighty percent destroyed. Two of them were like, to three of them were like seriously damaged, but they still operate partly in a way or another. But like they were very, very seriously damaged. You know, your mission for all these years in in Lebanon has been really to bring people together through food and to bring parts of the country together in a market and to provide employment. How has all that been going during the the pandemic? And how does that uh, continue now throughout the explosion in a pandemic? Pandemic what? What is a pandemic? We forgot about this ourselves, you know. 
with the explosion and it wasn't the pandemic only, you know, uh, before the pandemic, we had like a start of a revolution on October 17th against the totally corrupted governments that we have, uh, who stole, it was like not one Ponzi scheme, but like it was Ponzi schemes from all Lebanese banks and the government against the people, against the depositors. So we were fighting with this as of October 17th. Then came the COVID, then came COVID and the pandemic, and then came this explosion. So we really don't know what is what anymore. And every time with every problem, we had to be creative enough. We had to be like quick enough and, uh, and adapt to the new situation and find new solutions for the new problems. When the, when the economic collapse happened, uh, we changed a lot our way of work. We created, uh, uh, we, we created uh, like a grocery shop when thinking that people would eat less in our farmer's kitchen. Uh, people were more interested in buying local produce, so it was a good way for the farmers to sell their produce. But then again, when the pandemic came, like we were out of work, we were in lockdown for two months, which was a catastrophe for all the farmers and producers. It was our peak season, it was uh, spring, so we needed to think of ways how they can deliver their goods and still make a living of what they were doing. And then we started cooking an emergency tool for the frontliners, all the medical staff, doctors and nurses in the hospitals and for people who were confined. So every time there's a problem, every time we need to find solution, every time we need to adapt, it's like... It's just, you know, draining. And then again, the problem was explosion lately and where uh, we created our new emergency kitchen where we're feeding nearly 2,000 persons, 2,000 meals a day. We started with 1,000. And where Central Kitchen is producing more than 10,000 meals a day today in Beirut with different kitchens around the city. So every time there's a problem, you need to adapt, be creative, be very, very quick, you know, and find new solutions. And where is your emergency kitchen? At which of your spaces? In our original tawli, in our original farmer's kitchen in Mar Michael. It's not functioning as a kitchen anymore. It's not a restaurant anymore. It is an emergency kitchen. And there's nearby another kitchen for ours, which used to be our catering kitchen. So these two kitchens and one of our kitchens in the mountains in Deir al-Kamar is doing the preps and we're finishing here in the catering kitchen and in tawli Mar Michael. So much of what you've built and how you think about food was influenced by the civil war in, in Lebanon, which lasted for, for decades and through through much of, of your youth. I mean, even though that war is, is over, do you feel like you're still fighting a war in a sense? So the civil war in Lebanon started in 1975 with uh, the Christian militia. Uh, not bombing, but like, uh, how do you say bullets? What, what's the word to say for bullets? Shooting. Shooting, 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 shooting at, uh, at a Palestinian uh, bus. So it started with that. And we feel somehow that the port explosion in August, on August 4 this year was somehow the end of the war. And it has to be the end of the civil war because... It hasn't ended. It was the same warlords that were uh, governing us, ruling us. And if this explosion is not the end of the civil war and the start of something else, something better, well, it's, it's going to be the end of this country, definitely. 
So it's a make it or break it deal. So either the, the start of something better or this country is going to disappear. How does that happen? How, how does a better nation get formed? Well, the best responses were the responses of the volunteers, all young uh, women and men who went into the streets and completely cleaned the rubbles and helped the people uh, in, in two, three days. And I'm sure the best organized country or government in the world couldn't have achieved what, this, what these youth have achieved in such a short time. So if there is such an extraordinary people, these people, we the people, should make and govern this country. There's um, hundreds of thousands of people without homes right now because of, of this explosion. 300,000 in a city of 1 million, just to give you an idea. It's like nearly one-third of the population. And I would imagine these people are, are many of the people who you guys are feeding. Yes, definitely. We're feeding, uh, the food is going to hospitals, the food is going to homeless people, the food is going to volunteers on the ground. We're in charge of production, and then there's another group who's in charge of uh, identities, and the third group who's in charge of the distributions and the logistics of the, the distribution, and each of these jobs is a big job on its own. Where are the people who who are displaced? Have there been shelters set up? Is there is there adequate housing for people who are now homeless, or are people essentially just on the street? Howie, uh, the Orient is not the Occident. It's a place where you would never see a homeless sleeping in the street. When I went to Europe for the first time in my life, I was maybe 24 years old, and I went to London first, and it was like some kind of economic crisis or something, and like young people were sleeping in the street, I couldn't believe that such a country who's like so advanced and rich and who, who arrived to the moon, you know, uh, cannot take care of people who are homeless. So uh, I'm sitting in my building, in my house, which was destroyed and that I uh, uh, fixed overnight. Uh, and, you know, the building facing me and even my building is half empty and the building facing me is like completely empty. And there were foreigners who left the country or locals who went to a, a, a parents or grandmother or a house they have in the countryside, in the countryside. So there's always a solution or a way. Tell me what's happening in your, in your kitchens today. What kinds of food are you cooking? Who's cooking it? Well, uh, who's cooking it? It's first of all, Tauli teams, our own uh, teams that we could hire again and not kick out and have them lose their salaries. It's our cooks, because usually we had like cooks, women coming from different places and different villages every day, and that we haven't hired since October 17. And like now we were able to hire six of them every day. And then there's a very big group of volunteers. Every day there's 40 to 50 volunteers who come and help in the preparation. And our food every day is like half of it, like we're doing, let's say, 2,000 meals. 1,000 would be hot meals for people, for elderly people, or for people who are still living somewhere and can eat a hot meal, can heat it and eat it. And the other half are sandwiches uh, for people who are on the run or volunteers in the streets. Sandwiches are all, always like half meat, chicken or meat and half veggie. And the hot meals are always, as we do, and only know how to do, hearty, comforting, traditional uh, Lebanese meals. 
What are some of the things that you guys have been making? Oh, well, today we had the wood basha. It's meatballs and a tomato sauce. Yesterday it was mugrabiye. It's uh, the Lebanese take on couscous. It's more like fregola sarda with a sauce of chicken, uh, cumin, and uh, sorry, curry and uh, onions. So it's this kind of things. And when we do sandwiches, sandwiches are made always from scratch. Uh, for instance, it is uh, uh, grilled chicken with potato and hummus or grilled vegetables like zucchini and cauliflower with hummus. So this kind of things. Does having World Central Kitchen on board in partnership help provide some, some stimulus to the farmers who you guys usually work with who have been struggling? Well, definitely. They came, they came in with the structure, with the idea and with the funds to fund the cost of what we are doing today. Definitely they were saviors. So you had mentioned you were out of out of the city when the explosion happened, and you were you were up in the mountains. Were you at your property up there, Beit Duma? Yes. Okay. I so, was in Beit Duma specifically. You know everything. Is it open right now? Beit Duma is a, a hotel and inn that that Kamal operates. It's a bed and breakfast. It's mm-hmm. a house that operates as a bed and breakfast uh, and the kitchen. Uh, yes, it's open. It's still open. Tell me about driving back into the into the city and and what you first saw and how you registered the damage. I do like driving fast, but I have never driven so as fast as this. I was in the city like in thirty or forty minutes. I drove like a crazy person. Uh, all accesses to Beirut were completely blocked. Don't ask me how I took uh, uh, wrong ways. Uh, I did everything possible possible like to arrive to the northern entrance of the city where is Tauri and before getting here I asked my colleague Sami to 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 create a moped for me to find it I don't know where because I knew I had to cross the whole city and to cross the whole line of the explosion for me to get to the other side of the city where the hospital is or was and I arrived here, I just jumped out of my car, I, and I'm uh, behind someone on a moped, and we crossed the whole disaster area. And it was the most terrible thing I have ever seen in my life. It was like 40 minutes, less than an hour uh, after the explosion, and it was like just terrible. People still lying in the streets, the uh, rubbles. Uh, it, was, it was worse than a movie scene. And and did you go right to right to your restaurant? Uh, I arrived to the restaurant just for a second to see what there is there, and I jumped on the moped and went to the other side of the city, where my partner was in the hospital. Were you in shock? Was it all adrenaline at that point? No, no, I'm not in shock until now. Uh, it's there's no time for emotion. We need more to be practical and to sue to keep all our mind and to see what needs to be done. This is how I see it. No time for emotion. What are your days like? Who are you having conversations with? I would imagine, you know, you're busy cooking and getting food to people, but I would imagine you're also having some conversations about how to rebuild the country, how aid should come in, how to make sure the government doesn't get control of the aid budget. I'm not very much onto, into the operations because it's perfectly managed by our team and by the volunteers. So uh, I, I just keep an eye, but it's more on being sure that the volunteers and the teams are well fed, you know, on inviting someone who will bring breakfast for them. It's like more taking care of them and just keeping an eye from far.
So I'm not very much active on the on this side of operations, let's say, but uh, I need to see what's happening tomorrow. So when this emergency kitchen will cease to exist, where are we going from there? And if we need to do something, we need to do it as of now. So we're going to transform our emergency kitchen into a permanent community kitchen that will be cooking for needy people on a daily basis. And unfortunately, there's going to be need for a long time. So I'm more focused on this. I'm focused on providing a space for the farmers, for the farmers market. And I'm focused on uh, thinking of the future of Tauli. How, where will it go from here? We need to move from our actual space. So we identified an old car showroom where we're going to set Pauli, our farmer's kitchen, the farmer's market, the community kitchen, so all under one roof. So I'm busy with that to secure a deal for the space that we found, to think of the arrangement, to fundraise for this project. And we launched a fundraising campaign on GoFundMe and we're already at 136 thousand pounds we launched it as uh, from london so i'm busy more into doing all of these things i'm busy as of the communication to communicate on what we're doing and what's going to happen so it's more on this level rather than just you know peeling onions and cooking the meatballs so souk al tayeb and talet uh, will move under one roof and w- what neighborhood will that be in well, in the center of the disaster area, and this is somehow the challenge, because like Sukhothaib was at the southern end of the city, and Tauli was at the northern end of the city, and we're going midway in the center of the disaster area, in the most sinister area, and we're going to have there both uh, all our operations and a new community kitchen. That's incredible. What kind of car showroom did you, did you find? Whose car dealership was it? It's Saab, you know the Swedish brand Saab, that Seat, that Seat, the Spanish uh, car maker, took for a while, and uh, it's closed since a while. And we looked at it and we thought, well, that's a good thing. Just before the explosion, we were uh, looking at it, and now with the explosion, we cannot keep the old format. You know, all all formats or all, all ways of working are are uh, outdated and one needs to create some to adapt and once again to create something new so the explosion essentially blows up everything it, it blows up an entire way of life well all of your life everything and you find yourself with nothing and you say like okay i'm gonna start again but like how and when and who and with what like you know it's a lot of questions one of the things I've always found interesting about you is you're a journalist. I mean, your your training is, is as a writer and 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 a reporter before you were involved in the food business and in community building. How would how would you advise people to cover this story? Well, I think journalism doesn't exist for me. It's just a way of telling a story, you know. And I think in general we should be more curious, so to know other story. And there's something very, very important in life. You always think that it never, it always happen to, happens to others. It will never happen to me. Like, you know what? It can happen to you. If it happens through an explosion in Lebanon, it can happen in a peaceful... It was a non-war explosion. It was a, 
an explosion of some misplaced uh, misplaced materials that are explosive, you know. So this can happen anywhere in the world, or you can have a hurricane or something. So, you know, there has been an amazing international response. Look at you, interested in knowing the story, the number of messages, uh, how much money we've raised until now. So all of these things were amazing signs of how people were supportive and interested. And when I see so, I understand that people are just paying back what we have been doing together, you know. All of these people are people who love what we do or support what we do and somehow want to pay back now. So, you know, you need to do good and at one point or another, it's going to pay when you need it. This has been very, very heartwarming and very comforting. Even prior to this, I would imagine with the economic situation in Lebanon, which is also catastrophic, there's quite a food crisis there to begin with. Had you been thinking more about how to feed people in need as food has become more problematic in its distribution and people's access to it? You know, we couldn't think more. It was like such a problem what was happening that we were a bit overwhelmed with, uh, with stupid details rather than strategically thinking. But now the problem has been so big and so deep that we couldn't but think a little bit like strategically in a way. I, I've noticed you've gone from inside to, to out on the street and I'm seeing a little bit of, of Beirut right now. Where are you going? What are you doing? You're seeing, this is part of the building. Can you see all the destroyed windows? Yes. Everything's shattered. Yes. Look at this one. Everything. Everything is shattered. Yeah. Everything. Like the buildings are still here but not one home is intact, you know, like everything is broken. What's the rest of the day like for you? I know it's evening. I know you've probably been working for 12 hours already. It's 7 p.m. now. I'm an early sleeper. I hope I'll be in bed in like one hour time. <laughs> Days are very, very long. They start very early in the morning. So I, I try to, to rest as early as possible. What's the best way people can help around around the world? Where can people donate? How do you advise people, you know, budget their, their attention and, and their money to help your cause? Well, we launched our GoFundMe uh, Go campaign on GoFundMe uh, around Sukhothayb and Taule, and uh, this is the best way to support. We'll be launching a campaign explaining what we'll be doing with all these funds as of next week, uh, as of this week, sorry, and this would be the best way. So GoFundMe is where to, to keep up with, with announcements. And I've noticed you've become active on social media again after yes. a bit of a long break. Yes, long break where I didn't want at all to be on social media. But at one point, you need a voice. You have to And be. social media can be a good voice, yes. Um, my friend Anissa Halu wrote an interesting piece in, in British Vogue about... She's from, from Lebanon, and she wrote about um, the term resilience, how, you know, Lebanese uh, people... Did you read this piece? No, but I can't hear this word anymore. I'm calling it the R word. There's no F word for me. There is, there is the R word because, you know, it's very difficult to be on the ground, you know, and to be, uh, uh, to be obliged to rebuild every time. Like, no one asked me to be resilient. It's just a way of survival. You know, I hate this word. I can't hear it anymore. 
this is not resilience, this is survival. What do you want us to do? Like just, uh, just die? So this is, if we want to go, if we want to stay, the only way is forward. There is no other word. But like, it's, it's, the R word is more, you know, more of a myth. It's not a reality. And for us, it's just a way of surviving because we have no other way but that. I think that was her her point exactly about how how this word has been used so much to the effect that it has no meaning and anymore. I mean, Lebanon and Beirut is the place that it's been so up and down. You know, you read about these wonderful times in Beirut, and then something awful always seems to happen. And I, I just hope for you guys, this is this is the end of it. You know, this is the end of the awfulness, and a new beginning is finally coming. And the vision that that you have for for your city and your country is finally able to be carried out in full. This is why this time for me it's a make it or break it. Either I'm not I'm not saying that change is going to happen today or tomorrow straight away, but at least change should start and we should see it. And if it doesn't start, if you're going to stay with the same corruption, I'd rather see this country disappear rather than you know uh, having the same conditions still. So for me it's really a make it or break it point. Kamal, our our show is called Takeaway Only. I've I've been doing it for months, and I've been asking people what their big takeaway is from from living through COVID nineteen or operating a restaurant through a pandemic or the Black Lives Matters movement. And and for you, uh, the the question sort of seems absurd in in, in a way. It doesn't really seem to apply, and, and the wound of the explosion is too fresh to even bother asking. You know what your takeaway is from from this moment, but I do want to give you a chance to share a story about uh, something wonderful about about Beirut, to give people something to be hopeful about. Well, I'll say one thing only, do good and it will definitely pay back. When I see, you know, all people, how much they stand, everybody, how everybody's standing with us, it's just, you know, paying back, I think. And I just do good and it was so just do good and it's going to pay back can you tell me what you're fighting to preserve or what you're fighting to build well all all that is our identity and our roots and our history and why do you love it so much because it's home and it's so important to be somewhere where you feel it's home the world is home to me that's for sure but there is something in here, in my DNA, in my history, in my roots that I relate to more than anywhere else in the world. Kamal, thank you so much for, for being here. Um, we're all going to be following your work. We're all here to support. And, uh, you know, as I've said for a long time, I hope to see you in, in Beirut soon. Very soon in a new country or a no country. That was Kamal Muzawak. You can follow Kamal on Instagram at Kamal Muzawak, and you can help him rebuild Taulet and Souk El Tayeb by donating to his GoFundMe, www.gofundme.com slash f slash help dash us dash rebuild dash Taulet dash and dash Souk dash El dash Tayeb dash Beirut. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, at Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beepoles. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, and Raphael Weil. We're back soon. This is Takeaway Only.